Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 54 of UAB Green and Told, original air date Monday, September 13th, 2021. Through this podcast, we are able to share stories from members of the UAB community. You can listen to all of our episodes on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. While you're there, I'd love for you to leave a written review so we can reach more alumni. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and assistant director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. Today, we welcome Dr. Heath Hale and Dr. Kathy Weiss to the podcast for a critical conversation about concussions. Not only is Dr. Hale co-director of the Concussion Clinic at Children's Hospital, but he is also the team physician for UAB Athletics. Dr. Weiss, meanwhile, is the UAB Pediatric Optometry Service Director. She also created the MTBI Concussion Clinic in conjunction with Children's of Alabama. The number of concussions diagnosed in the United States is on the rise. According to the CDC, one and a half to three million Americans will suffer a sports-related concussion this year. But as we'll discuss, technology and treatment has evolved over the past few decades. Terms like, oh, he was just dinged or she just got her bell rung. Those were not classified as, as concussions, which now we clearly know that, that they are. When we got our bell rung back in the day, we often dusted ourselves off and got back on the field. As we'll find out today, that's not the case. It's a concussion until proven otherwise. It, it really is more of a guilty until proven innocent type approach in that setting. And we'll explore how our campus has created a cutting edge collaboration when it comes to concussions. You know, on this campus, we've got UAB medicine and we've got athletics. And when those two partner together, it's just beautiful. According to the CDC, an astonishing 10% of all contact sport athletes will sustain a concussion this year. While many concussions get diagnosed right away, others aren't. At UAB, doctors are trying to tackle concussions by providing athletes the best care possible. And that's where Dr. Heath Hale and Dr. Kathy Weiss come into play for the Blazers. Their cross-campus concussion collaboration goes back several years when Dr. Weiss was looking for a new game plan. In 2013, 2014, had just finished a huge study on nearsightedness funded by the NIH. And so when it was ending, we said, what's the next big thing? And we looked at the literature and we said, man, eyes are really messed up after concussion. And that's pretty clear in the literature, but we aren't doing anything clinically yet. We had some great expertise here on campus, Dr. Mark Swanson, Dr. Claudio Busatini, Dr. Jennifer Christie. We got together and said, what should we do with this information? You know, we've got engineers, vision scientists, neuroscientists, you know, Children's Hospital right across the street. So we had a little pitch meeting in July and we wanted to see if anybody agreed that we should apply for the HSFGEF grant and uh, study the vestibular ocular reflex and concussion or how the eyes are affected and the vestibular system are affected after concussion. And they thought it was a good idea. Jim Johnston jumped on and said, I'll help. He's in neurosurgery at Children's and the concussion clinic jumped on and said they'd help. And within a few months, we found out we got the grant. And then as that developed, we got opportunities to start developing new uh, research ideas for the NIH and locally. And, and Dr. Hale was placed into our path <laughs> as a wonderful, passionate, like so cerebral and smart and so dedicated uh, that I just, it became a natural you know, partnership that you know, we only took the best for our team. And he was great to really help us develop uh, some of our very, very early concussion work. Having the privilege of working in the concussion clinic here, particularly during a time when we were still learning a, a lot about this this injury, and, and we still are. I, 
I don't know of any other malady in medicine besides maybe COVID now, where there's been a, a steeper learning curve um, over such a short period of time. Working there during a time when we had so many, as, as Kathy mentioned, so many great collaborators and partners um, from, from so many different fields, all putting their brains together to come up with strategies for how to best care for these patients uh, was really exciting, you know, and, and it provided an opportunity, a lot of opportunities for me just to, to be involved in speaking and, and educating on what we were learning. You know, and, and again, I think just personally for me, I, I really get jazzed by working together with other folks. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, Kathy and I have developed such a great working relationship is it's just fun to kind of really build off other people's expertise and their, un and their interest and then come together um, with, a, with a product that we feel like can really help. I'm going to assume since both of you grew up in rural communities that you both played sports of some kind, whether it be football, basketball, ran track, whatever it is. When you were participating in athletics, did you guys ever have concussions yourselves? So I've had at least two. My first one was probably when I was 11 or 12 at a family reunion. I got sandwiched between two older, much bigger cousins um, running a, an in route across the middle. And the next thing I remember is, is waking back up in the cabin and talking about some random cartoon episode. <laughs> um, the second one was uh, during a football practice uh, in ninth grade. I was doing a one-on-one -on -one tackling drill and uh, came in with my head down exactly how you're taught not to do. We both hit the turf. The only difference was he got up and I didn't. You know, I just remember waking up and lying there and the coach and the and teammates are kind of gathered around me and me not knowing really what had happened. So, yeah, um, I, I do have some experience uh, as a as a fellow patient and, and someone who has sustained this particular injury. And I try to um, lend that experience when I'm when I'm counseling patients and their parents and their coaches. I think I've had about three exposures to impact. One was the classic, you know, um, let go of the cheerleading pyramid a little too early and a little too confidently and landed on my head. And, you know, I remember speaking and in gibberish, really, I, you know, nobody can understand me. But back then, you know, it was kind of like, hey, are you OK? You good? And nowadays I'm just, you know, I'm so proud that we have such a team. So it's it's uh, really good to have people who when the kids do or the athletes do go into that prolonged recovery stage to, you know, really be able to help them. Well, five, six years ago, my daughter was playing shortstop and took a bad hop and the ball hit her in the forehead, wound up being concussed things are treated a lot differently today than they were when the three of us were growing up. Is that just because the science has kind of caught up to where concussions are so no more is known about them now? I do think the science is catching up. I don't think it has fully caught up yet. You know, I mentioned earlier that that, that learning curve is, is steep. And we're, we're asking good questions, right? You know, whether it's subconcussive blows or risk factors for protracted recovery, what are, um, what are some of the things that go into uh, the, uh, the assessment and, and how can, what, what evidence is there to, to see if, if that really helps? But we still have a long way to go. So much of our recommendations really is, uh, even at present, based on anecdotal evidence and experience. We have come light years, though, from, from where we started. It wasn't that long ago. I may be dating myself, but when I was in residency, 2000 to 2000, 2002 to 2005, even at that point, you know, we, 
had these classification systems, some of which would say that if you, if you didn't have loss of consciousness and your symptoms cleared within 20 minutes, then you were cleared to go back into the game. You know, and, and haven't seen as many concussions as I've seen since that time. It's just, it's, it's really unbelievable that we managed patients that way back then. We just didn't have the information that we have now. But when I think about the number of patients that I've seen whose symptoms didn't manifest till hours later, or maybe the next morning when they, when they tried to do math homework and they realized, oh my goodness, I'm just not able to focus or concentrate. Or, uh, you know, after the game, they keep asking their parent the same question. It, it really is sobering just to think how different things were then. It's all, it also hasn't been that long ago since, and probably most of, of our listeners today who are, oh, I don't know, um, in their 30s or older, remember the days when it wasn't a concussion unless you got knocked out, you know? Terms like, oh, he was just dinged, or she just got her bell rung. Those were not classified as, as concussions, which now we clearly know that, that they are. And then finally, I would say that uh, it's really been just over the last few years to where we've uh, learned the benefit of some early exercise and, and challenging them cognitively um, as well as physically in the, the course of their management versus just saying, okay, you've had a concussion, so you need complete cognitive and physical rest until your symptoms absolutely return, either go away or go back to their baseline. And, and that's how that's how I managed folks, you know, as as recently as probably 2014, 2015. But now we've learned that that just like the brain doesn't like overstimulation and provocation that could provoke those symptoms, it also doesn't like complete isolation either. So this idea of, you know, sending a, a 13 year old kid up to his room, having him keep the lights off, sliding his food on a tray under the door, you know, that's not promoting recovery either. We've actually learned through some really good studies out of Buffalo, if you can identify where that symptom threshold is in a, in a concussed patient and exercise them b below that, that symptom threshold, we call it exercising at sub-symptom thresholds, then that actually is not okay, but can, can paradoxically reduce recovery times. Knowing the severity of concussions, in the heat of the game, when do you really understand, I got to take this kid out of the game, otherwise they're going to do more damage? You know, I think education has has really helped in this regard with referees knowing what to look out for, for coaches. Um, I've been so grateful, and I could share stories with you of where teammates have come to me or have come to the athletic trainer and have said, hey, doc, I, you need to go assess so-and-so, you know, she's just not acting right or he's not acting right. And, and those were, you know, ones that our medical staff would have potentially missed just because we didn't see it, see it happen. You know, I, I have this, I have this saying that I, that I teach to those that I educate on this topic is that when, when you're the sports medicine staff covering an event and you've got a head injury with altered mental status, it's a concussion until proven otherwise. It, it really is more of a guilty until proven innocent type approach in that setting. So it's your job to, to assess that patient and then make sure that this is something besides a concussion. And I'll, and I'll tell you a lot, of, well, maybe not a lot of times, but there are certainly times when after we do that initial assessment, that what comes out in the wash is that it is something different than a concussion. You know, maybe they got the breath knocked out of them. 
maybe they've been dealing with a little viral illness, you know? And so that's why they've got a little bit of a headache or they feel a little nauseated. Um, you know, it may just be that when they got tackled, their helmet got turned around and that's why they quote blacked out. They just couldn't see because, because their helmet got literally twisted and, and blocked their field of vision. Um, so it's so important to do a thorough assessment, both from a neurocognitive standpoint, um, from a vision standpoint, from a balance standpoint. And it really, really helps to know the kid well. I can't emphasize that enough. Getting to know these players so that you can detect some of those subtle differences in how they're relating to you. Can it be a challenge to convince the student athlete to come out of the game, come out of the competition? Because they're performing at a top level. They don't want to lose their spot. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we, we kind of have... <laughs> This understanding if you're a, a medical, a sports medicine provider on the sidelines, whether that's a team physician or an athletic trainer, is that one of the first things you want to do when you're assessing that player for a concussion is to take their helmet away um, or take some away if it's another sport beside football. Uh, take something away that, that uh, you know, if it's a baseball player, take their glove away. Because if not, what will happen is another injury will occur and you'll turn your back to deal with that injury. And the next thing you know, that kid's, you know, going out for a pass or is up at the plate or shooting free throws or, or whatever. And again, I think that's where good communication early on, particularly with your coaches, um, is paramount. So what factors do you consider in letting them go back on the field during that competition? That that sideline assessment or courtside assessment um, that I mentioned earlier involves initially pulling them off if there's any suspicion um, and then doing a, um, a, a thorough and yet succinct um, assessment where you're uh, initially asking them to be able to tell you what happened. That's a key question for me. I mean, if a receiver can't remember what route he just ran and what happened at the time of impact and then what happened, what, what's the next thing he remembers, if, if they can't tell you that really clearly and quickly, then that's a good indicator that that a concussion probably happened. If you're that, if you're involved in the game to that level, you're going to know exactly the play that you were just that you were just involved in. Other memory type questions, you know, like what did you have for for pregame meal? They should know that. Um, what's the score? I mean, if you're an active player in a game, you should know what the score is without looking up at the uh, the scoreboard. And then we do other things to kind of assess their delayed recall. You know, thanks to, to Kathy and her team, we have some really great uh, objective assessment tools from a visual and oculomotor standpoint. Uh, we check for their ability to be able to, to converge, assess their near point convergence. Um, we assess their extraocular movements. We're, we're looking not only if they can do these things well, but also looking to see if it provokes symptoms. We have some just quick ways to assess their, uh, their orientation and their concentration, whether that's uh, reciting the months of the year backwards, um, balance uh, is a key assessment and you have to take some things into consideration there. You know, there, a lot of these players, um, are in, are in cleats. Some of them may have, uh, had a, a recent ankle injury, you know, so that's why, uh, you know, one of my favorite sayings as a sports medicine doctor is that I, I treat patients. I don't treat tests or, or x-rays or scans or, but they are, they are helpful tools to really try to put together this big picture of, or this big puzzle of whether or not this player is 
demonstrating signs and symptoms of a concussion. So to more directly answer your question, if they can, if they can quote unquote, pass all those tests and we feel comfortable that, Hey, yeah, this probably was just something different than a true head injury. Then at that point, we feel more comfortable putting them back in. I feel like over the last seven or eight years, what has evolved in our concussion management is sort of narrowing the haystack on what is going on with concussion. And so we may have started out with a whole bunch of tests, you know, and we're trying to figure out what is the most succinct uh, group of tests that help us determine if this person is concussed and are they ready to go back to play? So we look for the uh, techniques that are, you know, give us the most bang for our buck and the near point of convergence is one of them. And it's awesome because it's free and easy and cheap and the trainers have so much to carry that all they got to have is their finger. <laughs> and so if you can cross your eyes to within six centimeters before it goes out like that, then that's good. And 4% of the population is unable to do that. But post-concussion, it's about 40%. And so um, it doesn't seem to stick around. It seems to get better. It doesn't seem to be associated with the more number of years you've been exposed to impact in your sport. It doesn't get worse. But it seems to be, you know, an indicator of brain function in the visual system. And, you know, we don't have to be able to do this to play football or be in the classroom, but it helps us kind of determine, you know, the efficiency of the brain. And, and like Dr. Joe Ackerson always has said, you know, we don't ever want to, you know, determine concussion, yes or no, based on one, you know, system. So we like to be, you know, that convergence is nice to add to Dr. Hale's, you know, sideline assessment um, for him. Dr. Weiss, you're an optometrist and a lot of people on the outside would look in and go, why is an eye doctor on a concussion team? We use the eye, you know, to not only, you know, post-concussion, see what happens to the visual system post-concussion, but also we use the eye to tell us about the brain and concussion. So objective pupil measures, you know, how thick the optic nerve is and how good the connections are from the eye to the brain to show us a good visual field. So, you know, what that turns into is biomarkers for Dr. Hale. So, you know, if we can show him a baseline, especially. So one of the things that we love to do is get the UAB athletes into the office, you know, preseason. So we can do some of this concussion baseline testing. So if they're in that 4% that didn't have a good ability to converge their eyes in the first place, then we're not going to wait around for him to get better at it. We're going to know that oh, it was eight centimeters preseason and now it's eight centimeters after exposure to impact. And so maybe he's okay to turn back. So we like to get the players back on the field more quickly, but really safely. And so because kids and young adults tend to get better post-concussion, we can look for those biomarkers that, you know, help Dr. Hale feel good about putting them back into the game. Our ultimate goal is for them to get back to their baseline, both cognitively um, and both uh, physically. Part of the process in helping them do that is being able to intervene in areas uh, where we feel like we can do so. So much of, of what's involved in concussion management, as we, as we touched on earlier, is just cognitive um, and physical rest. But if there are areas where we can really intervene and help, you know, we always describe uh, a concussion as like a snow globe that's been shaken up, you know, and the snow just needs to initially settle down. Well, if there are ways that we can help that snow sort of settle down, down faster, without compromising their safety, then we want to do that. Kathy and, and her group um, have been so instrumental in that process. If we can, if we can get in there and do some vision exercises, uh, for example, to help 
with their their altered ability to converge, um, if a lot of their symptoms like headache and dizziness are provoked by problems with their ocular motor system, then we can really tap into the expertise of folks like Dr. Weiss, Dr. Swanson. When that we feel like that that patient has been able to progress back to full return to think or return to learn. Um, in other words, they can tolerate mental taxing activities. They can take notes. They can, they can write papers. They can handle looking at screens. Um, they can take exams. And when we feel like that they have now proven or their brain has proven that it can tolerate this stepwise gradual stimulation of, in terms of exercise, then we feel comfortable with saying, okay, now you're ready to be cleared. And that, that is, again, through a, a formal progression that we put them through that, that's broken into different stages. The first stage being just some, some light aerobic activity. Okay, we'll see if your brain tolerates this. If it does, then um, we can progress you to the next stage, which would involve maybe some sports-specific skills. Maybe we let you shoot free throws. Maybe we let you run some routes. Maybe we let you throw the baseball a little bit. Um, and then at a minimum of 24 hours later, if they're still doing well, and we can progress them to that next stage, which at that point may involve doing some, some more uh, higher intensity stuff and exertion like sprinting or lifting weights. You know, and then from there, it would be uh, a non-contact practice, then a, a, a full uh, supervised contact practice. And then finally, okay, you have proven, your brain has proven that it can tolerate all these gradual stages. We now are going to reassess you. We're going to repeat all those baseline tests that we that we did preseason, and then if all of this matches up and you have kind of at least as much as possible shown us that you're back to where you were, the state where you were pre-morbid before you got injured, then we feel comfortable with putting you back. We are in the middle of a world-class institution being UAB. So what do our athletes have that other institutions don't have in concussion management? You know, on this campus, we've got UAB medicine and we've got athletics. And when those two partner together, it's just beautiful because the athletes have access to the amazing Dr. Hale and cardio and ortho and all these amazing doctors. You know, we've had people like Robert Cantu, who's big at Boston University and concussion. And he says, I've never been anywhere on a single campus where this is all here. You know, engineers, neuro people, clinicians, athletes. And so you know, when those two sides of the campus come together, the medical side and the undergrad, it's so cool because then, you know, the medical people geek out about the uh, sports and we get more people in the stands, you know, and then the athletes have access to the really great medical people. So, you know, that part is, uh, I think, amazing. So, yeah, without a doubt, that, that's that been the biggest blessing for me as, as a team physician and caring for our athletes with concussions. And of course, it's not limited to just that particular diagnosis, but since we're discussing that topic right now. I, I don't know of any other area where you really see the, the full weight of UAB and uh, all the collaborations really flexing and, and being leveraged. You know, I, I love that if I've got a patient who I feel like is just really struggling, a concussed patient that's really struggling with dizziness, I can get them into Brian King for vestibular rehab. You know, if I've got a person who's you know, really improving in all these other areas, but man, it seems like that their mental health uh, is really a big rubber band holding them back. Well, we've got collaborating partners in that area. Um, we've got a great partnership with uh, Joe Ackerson, who's a, a, a neuropsychologist um, and has a great reputation. We, we've got uh, 
great musculoskeletal doctors who can really help to kind of ease some of those those orthopedic type symptoms and, and, and contributions to their pain. And then I think it goes without saying that uh, what probably sets us apart from other institutions more than anything else is our collaboration with our eye specialist. If there's uh, you know one feather in our cap that again I think sets us apart in this area, it would be it would be just all the, the great research that's been done and the investment that we've gotten from folks like Dr. Weiss in helping get these folks better. Dr. Weiss, you, Dr. Hale, Dan Springer, Ryan Nichols, y'all collaborated and published an article on visors and tinted visors for football helmets. You guys also helped spearhead getting the Alabama High School Athletic Association to allow tinted visors on the field for athletes with certain conditions. Tell me a little bit about this whole endeavor and why this is so important. So we got the guy, we started to get the guys in for their baseline eye exams. And some of the guys were like, I want a shield. And we're like, of course, of course you can have a shield. It protects your eyes. We should totally do that. And then I learned from my friend, Dan, the head trainer, uh, that they're not, you know, ideal. Uh, number one, if you have a, you know, facial bone issue, you get impacted uh, to your face, then you can't really, you know, feel that. And really, you know, assessing the pupil function in a, you know, head injury type of situation is very hard through a shield, especially a tinted shield. So we wanted to come up with objective reasons for players to have a shield. And we helped, you know, develop a list really just first related to the eye and a clear shield. And that would be, of course, if they're monocular, if they have one eye that got, you know, we had a a uh, guy who had a baseball to the eye and, you know, had terrible vision one eye, great vision the other eye. So we make want to make sure, you know, the good eye stays really good. So shield is really important in any monocular patient. Then, but then we also have fragile retinas, fragile corneas that we were discovering in our comprehensive eye exams. And so, you know, in those cases, we don't want a hand or a finger coming to the eye. So a shield would be really important. So we just gave an objective list um, to Dr. Hale and Dan and Ryan and and we sent that to Auburn and Alabama as a courtesy, just to say, hey, this is kind of, you know, what we've discovered here. We have so many experts here, but we used uh, Dr. Jason Crossan and Retina and Dr. Don DiCarlo in low vision and Mark Swanson Neuro. We all got together, put our expertise. And then Dr. Robinson at uh, Alabama texted me and said, what about albinism? Would that be a reason to have a shield? And I said, of course, it would be a great reason to have a tinted shield. And he said, oh, you know, it's not allowed. So I didn't know that. And then, you know, several months later after football season, he said, let's revisit that. Are there other conditions that are light related or vision related that would maybe benefit, you know, a kid from having a tinted shield? And I said, well, sure. Albinism, aniridia, where there's no iris and there's lots of light coming to the eye. So again, got my experts together. Dan, uh, Dr. Hale, Ryan, our retina people, our great ophthalmologist next door. Um, and we created this objective list. And within a short amount of time, we were, uh, I think, we're the first in the country to have the ability to get a doctor to sign a form that says, you know, you have this condition and therefore you're allowed to play football with a tinted shield when it's appropriate. Dr. Hale, uh, what is your vision for UAB athletics and UAB sports medicine? Boy, that's a loaded question, um, but it's one that I have thought about and, and I've shared with our um, with our sports medicine staff, and one that I've shared with with our um, athletic director and, and our administration and our head coaches. And that is, I, I want us to be the bar when it comes to providing comprehensive sports medicine care, elite sports medicine care for our athletes. I think a lot of times when we when we think about sports medicine, we automatically 
just reflexively go to uh, orthopedics, and and that's where that's where our mind goes is is caring for the ACL tears and the Achilles ruptures and the and and the clavicle fractures and so forth. And indeed, um, that that is a huge component of of sports medicine care. I, I've been happy to see more and more people understand that there's there's more that goes into to really um, caring for these these individual athletes, their cardiac needs, their visual needs, um, their mental health needs. You know what COVID has taught us is uh, that it's hard for athletes to participate at their fullest and reach their potential when they're dealing with infections. Um, and and I could go on and on. Really, every aspect of medicine for our female athletes. I mean, women's health issues. All of that goes into really optimizing or to making sure that their care is optimized um, as much as possible. And I think when we begin to, to view it through that lens, then we can uh, approach sports medicine for our UAB athletes uh, in a way that's going to ultimately support their success here um, in the best way possible. That's Dr. Heath Hale and Dr. Kathy Weiss. Dr. Hale earned his Doctor of Medicine from UAB in 2002 and currently serves as the team physician for Blazer Athletics. Dr. Weiss received her Doctor of Optometry from UAB in 1995 and MBA in 2004. She's currently the Director of UAB Eye Care Pediatric Optometry Services. Working with UAB's athletic department definitely gives this pair a unique perspective of what it means to be a Blazer. I'm from a very small town in Iowa where the town rallied around the school and the school rallied around the town and it grew tremendously and you used vehicles like football to raise people who became good citizens and productive, you know, people, kind people who helped. And so it's it's very cool to be in a, in a setting like UAB where we have medical, we have the city, we have the new stadium, you know, we would love, Dr. Hale and I would love for all of us to be under one roof collaborating. We would love to become a medical destination for, because we are the bar and people want to replicate what we have or come here to seek our doctors. And so I think that can happen. And I think that to me is, you know, why I love being here. That's, you know, like everybody thinks it's because I love football, which I do, but football is really the vehicle and optometry is really the vehicle to really propel young people and old people and, and communities and all the right stuff that we need these days. I really feel like that there's a lot of momentum that's happening uh, on our campus right now in a lot of different areas. Um, but it, it's a it's a good time to be a blazer um, with what all that's happening in our city, um, what all that's happening uh, with this different vision casters on our campus and at this institution. I, I think you really saw a lot of the best and and um, and brightest of people come come through or the brightest in people come through um, during this pandemic. Be sure to listen into previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. You can find all of them at alumni.uab.edu slash green and told. Have a story to share? Email me at greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go Blazers.